Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Once again, my dear brothers and sisters. Today, I've got a little treat for you, a story. A story that I delivered 24 years ago. And it inspired a lot of people. It gave them hope. And I want to share that with you, inshallah. And the credit goes out to a great sheikh who was one of those that I listened to in the 90s when I was about 15 years old. His name is Sheikh Saad al-Brik. And this story, the shaitan may come to you and say that I'm just making it up. However, wallahi, this story, I have confirmed it with people that were involved in it. And the story happens really in Riyadh in Saudi Arabia, but I think it's going to connect to all of us, inshallah. So here it goes. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. First of all, I want to make an introduction to it. The story is all about repentance and hope. It's about Allah's forgiveness and mercy. It's about when you've hit rock bottom and you've done all the sins of the world and it tells you do not give up for Allah forgives all sins. My dear brothers and sisters, the story begins with a particular sheikh. I don't know the name of this particular sheikh, but he lives in Riyadh and he was on a trip, like the one we're on now. I think he went on a conference or a business in one of the neighboring countries to Saudi Arabia. Till today, I don't know which one it is, but apparently it had a place there where it was set up for the Western people to come in to enjoy their alcohol and all the other stuff, as you know. So the Sheikh, he says, I had some business to do there. And then after I finished my business, I managed to finish a day before my flight. And then I was extremely tired and exhausted. So I went looking for a place to stay. I didn't know this city. I didn't know what it was like. And I entered a hotel to hire a room. But in that room, but in that hotel, all I saw was men and women indulging in lustful temptations drinking wine, music and dancing. I had never seen something like this in my life. And one person who was in there happened to be a Muslim expatriate who was working there. And when he saw me, he said, Ya Shaykh, please, this is not a place for you. I don't want to see a Shaykh who is a role model in this place. He said, where am I going to go? And I'm really tired. He said, Ya Shaykh, you know, you can stay here, but it's not a place for you. So the Shaykh says, I couldn't stay there. I left. I left and I found a park and in that park there was a bench. So I decided to sleep on that bench and I didn't care about anything else because I was extremely tired. And then close to about Fajr time, my flight was about to leave at Dhuhr a little bit later and I decided that maybe I can find a cab, a taxi or a, you know, a car to take me to the airport. He said, I took a car to the airport and in the airport there was a prayer room. I went to the prayer room and I prayed my Fajr. And usually they don't let people sleep inside the prayer rooms, but I was so exhausted that I couldn't help myself but go to sleep. He said, during my sleep time, nobody entered the prayer room. And then close to about one hour into my sleep, I wake up to the sound of a cry. I looked in front of me and there was a young man, a man that was not more than about 25 years old, less than 30, a young man at the beginning of his life. 
He was praying and crying so badly. It's like a mother who had just lost her child. Or like a person who had just lost something very dear to them, a loved one. He said, I, I've seen many people like that cry in their salat and everything in my life, so I didn't really pay much attention. I was too tired, so I went back to sleep. He says, close to about dhuhr time, I wake up again. And it was the same young man who was praying. He came up to me and his eyes looked like he hadn't slept for three or four days. He looked really tired and hungry and he was so distressed. He looked at me and with shock he said to me, Ya Shaykh, hal Are you really able to go to sleep? Are you able really to sleep? He goes, yes, I'm really tired. He says, Wallahi, I don't know how to sleep anymore, Ya Shaykh. I don't know how to sleep. I've been running around for three nights and three days. I can't sleep. I can't eat, I can't enjoy my life, and I don't want to go back home. He said, what's going on? He says, I'm from Riyadh, and I just don't want to go back to my family. The Shaykh says, Dhuhr time was really approaching, and we decided to pray the Dhuhr. And I said to him, we'll speak after the Dhuhr time, bi'ithnillahi ta'ala. He says, we prayed Dhuhr together, there's just him and I, and no one else joined us. And then after the Dhuhr, I sat with him, I had a couple of hours before I fly. I sat with him, and he said to me, now in this story, we're just going to use the name Ahmed. Ahmed is not the real name, but that's just the name that the Shaykh gives because he doesn't want to expose him. He said to me, I am a man who is married. I have children and I come from a very wealthy family. We are entrepreneurs. We don't need to work because our income is passive. We are millionaires, probably even billionaires. We have everything at the tips of our finger. And we have maids, we have workers, we have the best of cars, we have the best of food. Everything that you can imagine, we have it. He said, but as time went on, I got too bored of the wealth and the luxuries. And I thought to myself, isn't there more to life? I want to try something else. Yes, I've got everything, but I want to try something else. And my dear brothers and sisters, this is exactly what the shaitan does. The shaitan comes up to you and says, why don't you get out of your comfort zone? Nothing wrong with that. But then the shaitan says to you, why don't you try something you have never done before? You know how Islam says this is haram and that's haram. Why don't you try something haram for a change? Just have a little taste of it. You don't have to do something big. Just do something small. You know, hang around with some of the boys, some of the girls who just probably do something that's a little bit haram, but not too haram. You're not doing anything. Just hang around with them. Have a laugh. Just have a, a kickback. You know, just enjoy and then come back and you're okay. And the shaitan comes and says to you, don't worry. You can go and pray a couple of prayers. It'll wash it away. Some other people, they say, oh, I'll just go and do haram and the next year I'll do some umrah. The umrah will wash off the sins. This is how we thought. He goes, so your shaykh. The shaitan came to me and I thought, I want to get out and do something I've never done before. A little bit of haram. Just, you know, little minor sins here and there. He goes, but I couldn't do it because my family was all around me. Everybody knows me. I can't do things where people see me. I've got to, you know, be away from everyone. If I'm going to do any haram, I've got to do it in a way where no one's going to judge me. You know, let my hair down a little bit. Come back, do a bit of umrah, and I'm done. He says, yeah, Shaykh, so then I made up an excuse that I was going on a business trip. I told my wife and my children. And I came to this country that you and I are in. I said, Ya Shaykh, Wallahi, I did not intend to do anything major. Just to do minor sins in return and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgives. He said, before I knew it, I surrounded myself with some other people who have come from different other countries. Muslims, just like me. You know, they pray, they fast, they do everything. But they've come here for the same reason that I have come.
Subhanallah how the shaitan takes you to these places. And as soon as I surrounded myself with the people who I was looking for to have a little bit of fun, watching them doing the haram, but me just laughing and enjoying it. He said, before I knew it, night after night, day after day, my temptation started to grow. What, was, what seemed to be big haram to me began to seem very normal to me. What seemed to be really bad to me, I thought, what's the big deal? Everybody's doing it. And I became numb, ya sheikh. As my lustful temptations began to grow, I'm away from my wife and my children, and these friends around me making everything look so easy and normal, the peer pressure came to me, and then I took everything really easy. You know that feeling how you feel when you become normalized to sins. He said, day after day, night after night, and then we were surrounded by alcohol. I never drank, ya sheikh, wallahi. We were surrounded by gambling. I didn't gamble, ya sheikh, wallahi. And then finally, the women came. And my friends wanted to chit-chat and flirt with them. I flirted a little bit. They flirted with me. And then we began to exchange words night after night, day after day. My friends would go into rooms in hotels and they would come out all happy and excited and then they would drink. And I'm just smiling and laughing until my temptations began to overcome me. I said, Ya Sheikh, one of the women who sat with me, she was so charming and she was so good. And I began, my lusts and temptations began to rise. You know, brothers and sisters, in science, in biology, there's something called the prefrontal cortex. I want the young people to know this. This prefrontal cortex here, it grows when you reach puberty. And when you reach puberty, it keeps growing until you're about 25. It's responsible for decision-making, for your um, feeling of morals, right and wrong. It's the rational center. So when that prefrontal cortex is blocked, you no longer think rationally, you think with your desires, you think with your emotions. He says, when my lusts began to grow, and even in science this is true, when your lusts grow and your temptations and your desires, your prefrontal cortex actually blocks itself. It's really used, Allah made it so that when you get married, so you're not shy with your wife and your husband, so things can be easy between you, so that you don't feel too shy when you come together and you can inshallah reproduce. That's the whole point of marriage inshallah, and more than that of course, love and everything before lusts and temptations. But he said, my prefrontal cortex and everything blocked, and my lusts took over, ya sheikh, and suddenly before I knew it, I don't know how I ended up in that room with that woman. And as Allah, as Rasulullah said, No man or woman ever are in seclusion together except that the shaitan is always their third. Don't ever think that you are so powerful and innocent enough not to fall into temptations. He said, Ya Shaykh, I've never done anything like that before in my life. And then suddenly, one minute became two minutes and two minutes became five. And suddenly I found myself doing the haram with her, the absolute zina. And Ya Shaykh, I don't know what happened to me. And then after this temporary lustful enjoyment, suddenly it was ended. And when it was ended, my temptations cooled down, my lusts cooled down, and then my conscience and my iman came back, and it, the guilt and the shame began to hurt me. I felt like I knew it was about to fall to the floor. I felt like hate began to rise in my body in a way of guilt and shame that I wished I could never exist. I said to myself, What have I done? What about my wife? What about my children? What about my hereafter? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not forgive me for this. Oh my God, how I've penetrated this wall. Ya Rabb, he said, I forgot about everything. I just began to scream and I rushed out of the door and ran down the stairs. He says, at the door of the hotel, 
I saw one of the main culprits that was with us. He ended up being, sorry for this word, he goes, he ended up being a pimp, one who hires women, who takes money, and he, I had been one of the victims of this person after I knew, I said, subhanAllah, I wish that they would have just taken my money and, I, and told me what they're trying to do to me. But subhanAllah, I ended up doing zina, a major sin. Ya Allah, what am I going to do? And he says, that man who was with me, he's a Muslim apparently, and he said to me, what's wrong, what's wrong? I said to him, I have committed zina. Do you know what zina is? It's adultery. And the man just said to me, he had a bottle of wine in his hand. He said, oh, it's easy, easily fixed, my friend. Here, here, just drink a little bit of wine and you'll forget all your problems. You won't feel any guilt. You won't feel any stress, nothing. You'll just forget, enjoy. And he said to him, subhanAllah, after now that I may be denied the wine of Jannah, I, sorry, I've now I've been denied possibly a wife in Jannah. You want to deny me now even the wine of Jannah? And then what did that man say to him, the shaitan? He said to him, Allah ghafoorur rahim. Allah is forgiving, most merciful. Allah will forgive you, don't worry. And he had forgotten that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is also shadeed al-iqab. He is also severe in his punishment at the same time, my brothers and sisters. He has prepared for the criminals a fire that on the day of judgment, 70,000 ropes around it. On every chain, there are 70,000 angels if one of them lets go, the fire will eat everyone. It has a terrible roar. He had forgotten that Allah is also Shadid al-Aqab. I said to him, the person who was speaking, Ahmed, he said, I pushed him off me and I said, leave me alone. Leave me alone, you've done too much damage. He said, I went out of the hotel, Ya Sheikh, I don't know where I was going. I kept roaming the nights like a homeless person, crying, I can't eat, sleeping in different corners, looking through garbage bags like a homeless person because I don't deserve to be in this world. I became lower than any person, Ya Sheikh. I don't deserve any forgiveness from Allah. The Sheikh looks at him. He goes, I didn't know what to say to him. I said to him, the best verse that I can think of in the Quran. I don't want the guy to hurt himself. There's still hope, inshallah. He goes, I just recited, Qul ya ibadi alladheena asrafu ala anfusihim la taqnatu min rahmatillah inna allaha yaghfiru al-dhunuba jami'a innahu huwa al-ghafoor al-raheem Say, O Muhammad, to my slaves who have overburdened themselves with guilt and regret, do not despair from the mercy and forgiveness of Allah. Allah forgives all sins. He is the most forgiver, the most merciful. The young Ahmad looked at the Shaykh and he said, Ya Shaykh, that is true. Allah will forgive everyone but me. I don't deserve to be forgiven. I have Shaykhs around me and ulama. I come from a Muslim land of Hajj and Umrah. I'm married, I have children, I have wealth. I know what's halal and haram and I fell into it. I don't deserve to be forgiven, Ya Sheikh. This is not for me. Suddenly the announcement for his flight was heard and the Sheikh said I had to go. I took his contact and I went to my plane. And in, my, in the back of my head I thought, you know, I've seen this before, maybe two weeks, three weeks, he'll forget about his problem and move on in his life. He said, when I reached back to Riyadh, about a month later, I received a call from him. And he said, I want to meet you at the masjid. And it was about Hajj season time that, that time. He said, I went to the masjid and I met with him and he had changed. He wasn't the same as before. He wasn't crying. He wasn't in distress. But there was something dangerously scary about him. I looked at his face and it's as if he was just empty. 
He said to me, a Sheikh, I didn't call you to say hello to you. I've called you to say goodbye. I said to him, where are you going? He said, I want to give myself in to the Saudi government so that they can stone me to death. And the Sheikh says, I held on to him. I got nervous. I said, are you crazy? You've got a wife. You've got children. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't tell you you have to go and do that. Repent to Allah. There's many ways. Allah is ghafoor. You don't have to kill yourself. He says, oh, my, my wife and my children will not save me from Allah's punishment. And I want to be saved from his punishment. Let go of me, ya Shaykh. I just came to say thank you for trying to help me. Jazakallahu khayran. Before I go into the hereafter. The Shaykh says, I didn't know what else to do. I held on to him. I tried and I tried. And the man was about to just go. So finally I said to him, Ya Ahmed, listen. Let us go to one of the scholars that you and I respect here higher than all of us. And we will tell him your story. And if he says, he says to you, give yourself in, I will take you myself. Until finally I came to an agreement with him. And then I said to him, shake on it. Because I was afraid he might go in secret and subhanallah. So he, then he shook on it and he gave me his promise. He said, we went to this great scholar. And the scholar said, la yusallimu nafsa. Tell him he, will, he is not allowed to give himself in. And this particular scholar, he says, what kind of a man have you brought me, a Sheikh? I can't sleep. I've been awake nights after nights with him calling me and saying to me, Oh, Sheikh, fear Allah in what you're saying to me. For Wallahi, on the day of judgment, I will say to Allah, I wanted to give myself in, but this scholar, he is the one who told me don't. And the Sheikh says, Subhanallah, I did not tell you anything except out of ilm until finally the young Ahmad left the scholar alone. Suddenly, the Sheikh says, I received this call and he wanted to meet me back in the masjid. I went back to the masjid and he said to me, I'm come to farewell you again. I said, where to now? He says, I want to go to Hajj. And this is the feeling of a repenter. I said, Subhanallah, let's go together. He said, no, 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 I'm okay. I thought maybe he went with a group of his own. He says, we went to Hajj. And then when we reached the part when we're stoning, you know, the, the Ramir Jamarat for the devil, he said, I saw him from a distance. And I said, Ya Ahmad, Ya Ahmad. He goes, as soon as Ahmad saw me, he ran away. I said, Subhanallah, what changed his heart towards us? He said, then I went back. And when I met him back in Riyadh, I came to visit him. And I said, Ya Ahmad, what changed your heart? And he said, Ya Shaykh, why would you want me to mix with you? I am impure. You are pure people. Why would you want me to ruin your hajj? He says, I was too busy making istighfar. Leave me alone, ya Shaykh. Subhanallah, why would you want me among you? Leave me alone. He said, and sometimes I would look at all the hujjaj and I would think, Subhanallah, look at all these hujjaj, how pure they are. I am the worst. Maybe Allah will not forgive or accept anyone's hajj today because I'm among them. And sometimes I would think, maybe Allah will forgive me because of all these pure souls around me. Subhanallah. Time passed. And this young Ahmad memorized the entire Qur'an from front to back. Then he began to fast one day on and one day off. Every day he is in the masjid five daily salat. Whenever you saw him, he was either praying or donating or reciting the Qur'an or making zikr or tending to his family. He was never as happy as he ever was, never himself. Monitoring every step and every second he takes before he meets Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Years passed. And then one day, I'll just cut the story a little bit short, inshallah, for time's sake. He said, one day, we were visiting, a, a scholar from Medina was visiting us, and he was giving us a talk about a man of a companion named Ar-Rabi' ibn Khuzaym. He said, the story about Rabi' ibn Khuzaym in the time of the Prophet, or just after him, the people of Kufar, they wanted to ruin every young person who is an influence. 
And this young man was an influence to young people in a good way. So they said, how can we ruin him so that he's not influencing the young people towards Islam? And they said, let's send him a beautiful woman. We'll pay her. And we came up to her, to the most beautiful and popular woman in this town. And we said to her, we will give you 100 dinars for Arabi ibn Khazim to give you one kiss. Just one kiss, we want to delude him. She said, for 100 dinars, I'll get him to do more than that. So she went and met with Rabi ibn Khazim as he was coming out of Maghrib Salat. And as soon as she saw him and she displayed himself to him, he looked away and screamed in her face, saying, what would you look like if you were in your grave for about an hour? All this beauty that you look at, what would you look like in the next day? What would you say to Allah when you say, oh Allah, you created my beauty and I used it in haram? And she was a Muslim. He goes, she, the story goes that she, she was so affected by what he said that she began to cry, ran away and repented to Allah until she was called Abidatul Kufa in Iraq. She was from Kufa. They called her the worshipping woman of Kufa because of Rabbi Abdul Khuzaim. As the Shaykh was telling this story, and, and the Shaykh was telling us the story, he says, I was sitting there, suddenly we heard a man get up and he screamed. He ran out of the masjid crawling out, Rabbi Abn Khuzaim returns her and I go to her to commit zina. We realized that it was Ahmed. He said, had I known that he was there, I would have told the alim not to talk this story. As time went past, I didn't see Ahmed. And then he said, one day I met a great scholar who was visiting us even greater than the other one. And he was talking to us and I thought maybe I can ask this sheikh, this great scholar, finally once and for all to find me a solution for this young man, Ahmed. He can't keep walking like this in life with such despair. This is not what Allah said. So the great scholar, he said to him, Shaykh, there is a simple verse in the Quran. You can go and say it to him. He said, which verse? He said, don't you remember in Surah Al-Furqan? Allah says, those who do not call upon Allah with partners, don't make partners with Allah. And do not murder a soul that they have no right to murder it unjustly. And those who do not commit adultery and fornication. Whoever does any of these acts will surely meet a terrible chastisement and wrath. Their punishment will be multiplied. And they'll be placed in hellfire, humiliated and belittled. Except he who repents and renews their faith. And starts to do good deeds to wipe off the bad deeds. For these types of people, Allah will exchange their past sins into good deeds. And your Lord is ever so forgiving, most merciful. He said, I couldn't wait to go to Ahmed to give him this verse. It's the best thing I've ever heard. Why couldn't I have noticed it? He said, I went to the masjid and I found Ahmed reclining on the steps of the minbar as he always does every maghrib. And it was after Asr. He goes, I entered and there was no one in the masjid. He said, I couldn't hold myself. I entered and opened it and I said, Ya Ahmed, Ya Ahmed. He looked at me and I couldn't hold myself. I said, I began to sing it. I began to recite it melodiously. I said, he goes, when I reach the part where it says, their punishment will be multiplied. He says, I looked at him as if I had stabbed him with a dagger. He goes, I continued. وَآمَنَ وَعَمِلَ عَمَلًا صَالِحًا 
فأولئك يبدل الله سيئاتهم حسنات وكان الله غفورا رحيما He says when I finish the ayah Ahmad jumped up He ran to me, began to hug me He kissed me on my forehead He began to cry He began to smile And he says, Ya Shaykh, Wallahi, I have memorized the entire Quran And today, Wallahi, it is as if I am reading it for the first time in my life How could I have not seen this verse? Maybe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala left it for him to raise his level in Jannah Allahu A'lam That evening, that Maghrib, the Imam of the Masjid was away And they put Ahmad to pray Imam He goes, he recited Al-Fatiha And then as he was about to recite a short surah Which surah does he choose? He says, when he reached the part, except he who repents, he, get, he burst into tears. He couldn't finish, so he went into ruku' and sujood, and he went up to the second rak'ah. He recited al-Fatiha and tried again. And when he reached, he couldn't contain himself. He fell down to sujood, and he could never finish the verse every time he got to it. He said, months passed, and it was Ramadan, and suddenly... I receive a call from his father, the father of Ahmed. He said, please come quickly. I went to visit him and I knocked on his big door, his palace. And as soon as the father saw me, he burst into tears and began to hug me. I didn't know what was wrong. He said, your brother, your dear friend Ahmed, he gives you his salams. And he went back to Allah last night. I said to him, subhanAllah, I didn't know whether to cry for my friend or for his father. He goes, I went in and it was the janazah and they had brought the body to the family to farewell the body. He goes, I went inside and the cover sheet was on his face. I took the sheet off Ahmed's face as his dead body lay there and I saw a face. I saw a face that was glittering, with sh shining with light. I saw a face that did not leave this world but had gone to Jannah, insha'Allah. I made dua for him and kissed him on his forehead, covered his face and I sat with his father and said, tell me what happened. He said he had been going through some sickness which he didn't tell you about. And it was Ramadan. He said, last night before Maghrib we were praying together. And I said to him, son, come and make iftar with us. I said, dad, I feel like staying at the masjid a little bit longer today. I feel something special. Please leave me for another few minutes. So I left him there. And after iftar, he didn't arrive. So I sent his little brother to go and see him. He was about 10 years old. And the little brother returned back crying. Ya abati, ya abati. Akhi Ahmed, la yukallimuni. Dad, dad, Ahmed is not talking. I went to the masjid and I found them reclining on the footsteps of the mimba as he always does and he was barely breathing I rushed to him with the Quran in his hands and I lifted his head onto my shoulders the father says I looked and he was trying to say something to me I came closer and closer because he couldn't make his voice out very well as he was dying I knew he was dying we called the ambulance as he was dying he said give my salams to the sheikh give my salams to the sheikh and that's why I called you a sheikh to deliver the amana he goes and then suddenly while he was in my arms his voice changed completely and he came out as clear as the beautiful stars. He said, يضاعف له العذاب يوم القيامة ويخلد فيه مهانا إلا من تاب وآمن وعمل عملا صالحا 
فأولئك يبدل الله سيئاتهم حسنات وكان الله غفورا رحيما He finished the entire ayah and then his soul escaped from his body. I said to the young sheikh, what happened to my son when he went on his tourist visit? And the sheikh said, I had promised not to tell the full story or to say what he had done. He said to him, Faqada imanan. He lost his iman for a little while. Or he said to him, he lost a friend. As the Prophet said, when iman, when you do a sin, the iman is like a friend. It, it's, it, it hovers above you as you do the sin. And when your sin is over, your iman comes back to make you feel the way you feel so that you can repent and renew your life. My dear brothers and sisters, inshallah, that you benefit from this talk, that it is hope, no matter how much you have sinned. Remember that Allah is ghafoorur rahim. Allah loves it. He loves it when somebody returns back to him. Even if you have sinned all your life, no matter what you think about yourself, remember, do not despair from the forgiveness and mercy of Allah. Tonight, my brothers and sisters, tonight pray two rakahs and say, Oh Allah, forgive me. And you will find your entire life changing. I thank you for listening and thank you for having me here, my dear brothers and sisters. I farewell you tonight. I return back to Australia. And I would like to thank the organizers, the volunteers, all your beautiful faces. Wallahi, I felt a comfort and happiness this time round that I haven't felt before. And possibly, inshallah, I can feel, inshallah, that it is your iman. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive us all. Thank you. Wa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Wassalamu alaykum.